This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. This is not your century. This is not your century, where we celebrate the news and the newspapers of centuries gone by. I'm King Kaufman. On March 6, 1913, the Chronicle reported on the first day at work for the new Vice President of the United States, Thomas Marshall. The former governor of Indiana set up shop in his new office in one of the main corridors near the Senate, and he found himself inundated with visitors. Tradition dictated that the VP's door stay open, and that area of the Capitol was open to the public. I don't see that this room differs much from a monkey cage, Vice President Marshall said, except that the visitors do not offer me any peanuts. Marshall was kind of a funny guy. He was known for his sense of humor. His most famous joke actually entered the language for a while. It was kind of a meme, 1913 style. Some senator was listing everything the country needed, and Marshall leaned over to an aide, and he said, loud enough for everybody to hear, What this country needs is a good five-cent cigar. That's the kind of thing that used to bring down the house. One person who didn't appreciate the humor was President Woodrow Wilson. Marshall joked on that first day that maybe he'd ask for an office over in the Senate office building so he could have some peace and put his feet up on the desk. But Wilson really did send him over there. He didn't want him around. In Indiana, Marshall had been a progressive governor. He passed child labor laws, anti-corruption laws, But his rough charm and his inability to get along with President Wilson meant he wasn't much of a VP. That became a problem late in Wilson's second term when the president had a stroke. First Lady Edith Wilson couldn't stand Marshall, and she and the president's inner circle worked to prevent him from taking on the duties of the presidency. That leadership vacuum may have doomed American ratification of Wilson's pet project, the League of Nations. And if the United States had been a part of it, the League of Nations might... I mean, it just might have been able to prevent World War II. But it's a stretch to blame the Second World War on Thomas Marshall. So now that nobody says that five-cent cigar thing anymore, Marshall's lasting legacy is that he introduced the rule in the Senate that a filibuster can be overridden with a two-thirds majority. Across the country in Los Angeles, Clarence Darrow was in court. That certainly wasn't unusual, but this was. It was Darrow himself who was on trial. Clarence Darrow was famous at this point. He had defended the anarchists and the Haymarket riots. He had defended Eugene V. Debs. But he wasn't yet the legendary figure who would be remembered for decades after his death. He'd been accused of bribing jurors in the murder trial of a guy named James B. McNamara. James and his brother John were union organizers who'd been accused of setting off a bomb at the Los Angeles Times which at that time was anti-union. They weren't just accused of it, they really did it. Twenty employees of the Times, journalists and printers, were killed. Darrow helped James McNamara avoid the death penalty, but as that deal was being negotiated, Darrow's assistant was arrested giving $4,000 to a prospective juror. That's about 100 grand today. 
Darrow was also accused. He faced separate trials on two charges of bribery. He was acquitted in the first. His lawyer in that trial was also famous. His name was Earl Rogers, and he was later immortalized by Earl Stanley Gardner, who used him as the model for Perry Mason. But in the second trial, Rogers took ill, so Darrow defended himself. The prospect of the great litigator making his own closing argument caused great excitement, the Chronicle reported. I don't fear you jurors, Clarence Darrow said. I know you too well. I no more doubt the result than I would if my brothers and sisters were passing judgment upon my guilt or innocence. He might have done better with his brothers and sisters. He ended up with a hung jury, but that was good enough. He went back to Chicago, broke and with his reputation in tatters, and by taking on cases nobody else wanted, a black man accused of raping a white woman, that sort of thing, he rebuilt his career. His two most famous cases were more than 10 years away, the thrill killers Leopold and Loeb, and what H.L. Mencken called the Scopes Monkey Trial, the show trial for evolution education in Tennessee. In the movie about that trial, Inherit the Wind, Darrow was played by Spencer Tracy. One last note on the bribery trial. The definitive biography of Clarence Darrow is called Clarence Darrow, Attorney for the Damned, by John A. Farrell. He studied the historical record and the papers of Darrow and those around him, and he came to the conclusion that Darrow almost certainly bribed jurors throughout his career, including at his own trial for bribing jurors. Not Your Century is part of the San Francisco Chronicle Podcast Network. Audrey Cooper is the editor-in-chief. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like this show, we'd love it if you'd give it a rating and a review. For great journalism today, consider subscribing to the San Francisco Chronicle, which you can do in both paper and digital form by going to sfchronicle.com slash subscribe. Historical research by Libby Coleman. I'm King Kaufman. Talk to me on Twitter at King underscore Kaufman. We now return you to your century.